Thank you. Thank you very much and welcome. I'm Father Mitch Packer. Welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from all around the world. Tonight, we will look at the roadmap to happiness that Jesus Christ our Lord laid out for us in the Beatitudes during his Sermon on the Mount. And we'll see how those eight declarations are essential to Christ's saving message. We're going to get to that in a minute, but before we do, we'd like to speak briefly with EWTN's Jack Williams about EWTN Radio. Jack, what do you have for us this time? Well, we just need to talk, I think, every once in a while, it's a good idea just to talk about a little bit about what EWTN Radio is and what mm -hmm. we offer to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, there are times when, uh, as great as EWTN television is, that you just can't watch TV. You know, yeah. if you're driving in your car, you can't, well, at least you shouldn't watch TV. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're driving in your car, if you're at work, there are other places that you can't watch TV, but you can listen to the radio. Yep. And we try to make an EWTN radio lineup that makes EWTN radio a companion for you as you go through the day. We have all sorts of different programming from news to programs that address the culture, programs for women. Uh, we talk about marriage, church teaching, apologetics, and all of those Even sorts of things. some medical issues and things Medic like that. Medical, we have a, Business? We have a, yeah, great show. The official radio show of the Catholic Medical Association airs Dr. Doctor on Saturdays on EWTN radio. And um, you can pick up EWTN radio on over 380 AM and FM radio stations across the United States. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have one of those stations in your area, then you can listen to us on Sirius XM channel 130. Uh, you can listen to us at EWTN.com. You can listen to us on the EWTN app. Even Father Mitch has the EWTN app on his phone for the low, low price of nothing free. It's free. That's exactly right. And you can watch all the EWTN TV you'd like and listen to all the EWTN radio that you would like on that particular app. We're on every streaming platform known to man, essentially. Um, so there's really no reason that you can't find EWTN. Um, you just have to look a little bit sometimes to find it, but it's there. The programming is available for you. And if you want to know more about all the great offerings that we have on EWTN radio, all you have to do is log on to EWTN.com radio. Thank you. That's a good thing to know so that people can get Because there are a lot of times when, you know, you want to turn on the radio and when you're driving and listen to something positive instead of everybody yelling at each other. <laughs> so we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with tonight's guests. Please stay with us. Thank you. Welcome back. Our guest tonight is a Norbertine priest. He's also a teacher. He comes to us from St. Michael's Abbey in Silverado, California, down in Orange County. And he's here to share with us how the Beatitudes make up the foundation and essence of Christ's teaching. And that the Beatitudes 
are as central to the ten to the gospel as the Ten Commandments were to the old law. So please welcome the author of the book, Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. Father Sebastian Walsh. Father Walsh, welcome. Oh, good to have you. you here. It's really good to be here. Thank well, you, Father Mitch. Well, thank you for writing your book. And mm -hmm. I think this parallel between the Beatitudes and the Commandments is an important one. Yes. one uh, in one case, Moses went up Mount Sinai. Christ goes up a mountain that to this day is called the Mount of Beatitudes. And teaching the people from the mountains uh, is common to both. And mm -hmm. I think that helps bring out our Lord is choosing that setting yes. to show this is not peripheral, it's essential. Yes. And that's one of your points in this book. That's right. I, I begin by, by relating my own experience. The first time I ever learned the Beatitudes was as a list that I had to memorize for confirmation class. Mm -hmm. I was literally afraid the bishop would ask me for the list, so I memorized it just so I wouldn't be embarrassed in public, yes. you know. And unfortunately, it was a forgotten list. But at some point later on in my life, as I started to understand more fully the teaching of Christ, what I realized was that the whole moral doctrine of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was contained in seminal form in those eight Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and you can see that from the standpoint that the whole reason why we're living the moral life is ultimately to, to achieve Beatitude. Yeah. So in some sense, you're like, if this is what you want, this is the way to get there. Yes, very much so. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the Psalms, Psalm 1 begins with the mm -hmm. same word. Yes. You know, um, Ashrei Ha'ish, you know, you yes. know, blessed is the one. Blessed you know, is the man. And so this is uh, the way our Lord begins his public teaching with this beatitude. What is it that you see that's key here for us? Why, why do we need to go beyond memorizing it for yes. a test? Why do we need to incorporate the Beatitudes? Yes. Well, Jesus Christ came and he said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly or have mm -hmm. it to the full. And the Beatitudes are exactly the description of that life. Mm -hmm. The word that's used in the Greek there is makarioi. And mm -hmm. that word signifies not just a kind of an emotional satisfaction. It signifies a blessedness that's akin to the blessedness of God. Mm -hmm. In fact, in the, in the New Testament, that word is used to describe the blessedness of Jesus and glory and also the blessedness of God, the happiness of God. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's lifting us up to a higher plane. It's fulfilling our deepest desires and even going beyond our deepest desires. And Jesus really wants us to share the life he shares with his Father. And so it's a mystical teaching mm -hmm. that elevates us and, and it presupposes, so to speak, everything else about the faith to, um, to live out fully those Beatitudes, to live that life that Jesus Christ wants us to live and share with him and with his Father. Because it's a kind of blessedness that our Lord has, ultimately the Beatitudes are about how it'll be in heaven. Yes. Yeah. This is about the ultimate meaning of life yes. and how 
we'll be very happy in heaven. We won't be complaining. There's no <laughs> whining in heaven. They have a place where you can go and whine. <laughs> heaven isn't it. You know, so this is something that uh, is extremely, it, uh, that's why it's essential. It's also about life here as the yes. preparation for eternal life. So a lot of people, they ask me that question. So are the Beatitudes about happiness in this life or happiness in the next life? And it's a fair question because actually if you read the, the eight Beatitudes listed by St. Matthew, the first and the last Beatitude give the reward in the present tense. So each Beatitude has a first part, mm -hmm. which is like a condition for merit, and a second part which signifies the reward. Mm -hmm. The first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. Huh? And the same way the last Beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of God. But the middle six all have the reward given in the future tense. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted, you know, mm -hmm. and so forth. So it's a fair question. And, and St. Thomas reads this as saying, fundamentally, the, the Beatitudes are primarily about the life to come, but in another way, also about the present life. Mm -hmm. And the key to understanding this is the theological virtue of hope, mm -hmm. hope. Hope has this amazing power. It makes future joy present. And I like to, I give two examples in my book. The first one is you have a man and he goes out and he's, he's stopping by to get some gas and there's a lottery, you know, in California they had a big lottery, it's like a billion dollars or something. And so, you know, let's say you're going home and you decide, well, it's a big lottery, I might as well buy a ticket. So he goes home and he's watching the TV and he's they decided to switch away from EWTN for a few minutes because he wanted to see the lottery numbers come up. and. One after another, his numbers come up and every number is there and he hit the jackpot. And at that moment, he's jumping up for joy. He's running around the house. He calls his tax attorney or whatever. He does not have one cent, but you know what he does have? Hope in the promise of a state of California <laughs> and a piece of paper. Yeah. And that's enough to make him excited and joyful. Huh? Mm -hmm. Or maybe another example, it's a little bit more close to home for people. You've got a young woman, she's been having a rough day at work, it's a bad hair day, you know. She, her boyfriend calls her and says, would you like to grab some dinner? So she goes to have dinner and she's just about to go into a litany of all the things that went wrong her day and lo and behold, he drops to one knee, produces a ring and proposes. And all her sorrows go away in a moment, right? Mm -hmm. And she's filled with joy. And, she, and the marriage might not even be for another year. And yet all that good in the future has been made present through hope. In this case, the hope of the promise of a young man, a fickle young man. So hope has this amazing power to make future joy present. But what is our hope founded on as, as Catholics, as Christians? It's, it's not founded on the promise of the state of California or any other government. It's not founded on the promise of a fickle young man. It's founded on the promise of Jesus Christ who is truth himself. And the goods that are promised is not a billion dollars or a life together with an imperfect person. It's God's own happiness. And so as Christians, we should be more happy at every moment than the guy who won the, just won the lottery or the girl who just got proposed to. And if we don't have that constant joy in our heart, it's because our hope is weak, Father. Our hope is weak. St. Paul said, rejoice always in the Lord and, and hope should bring that joy of the future present 
So the Beatitudes really are lived already in this life in part and fully in the life to come. One of the reasons this is so important right now is that we have lots of folks in the government and the media who really emphasize to young people, you're going to die. We have now only eight years <laughs> and, and then everything is going to yes. fall apart. Now yes. it's seven years. Yes, yeah. And, you know, and you know, 2030, it's, if we don't do what I say by then, it's all lost. And yes. they keep telling young people this. Yes. And then they wonder that so many young people are depressed, that are committing suicide, mm. and you know, giving up and feeling all kinds of interior disturbance. Mm. They're telling them that you have no future. Young people are supposed to be filled with optimism. Yes. And the politicians and media people are trying to kill it so that you vote for me and I'll save you. <laughs> Whereas we're saying, wait a minute, you know, there is a wonderful future for you and you don't vote for Jesus, you accept what he gives. That's the difference. Yes. You know, it used to be um, when I was a kid, you'd have some guy run around with a sign that says the world is about to end, you know. Now that's everywhere. That guy is on all the TV stations and in all the governments, you know. But the truth of the matter is that happiness with a time limit isn't happiness. The human heart doesn't want to be happy for 50 or 60 years. The human heart has a natural desire to be happy forever. Mm -hmm. And only Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. No other religious leader did, no other political leader did. Only Jesus Christ has the power over life and death itself. And he's the only one worthy of trust when he promises, I can give you everlasting life. And so we just can't live in this life as if this were the only life. Because even if it were filled with every joy and pleasure, we would be miserable. And mm -hmm. I like to tell kind of a little parable. Let's say that you had this, the, a friend who was the dearest friend of your heart. And whenever you were together, it, w it made you happy. Whenever you were apart, it made you really sad. And God came to you and he gave you a choice. He says, the first choice is, you can be together with your friend for some weeks or months or even years, but after that time, you will forever be separated. Or the second choice is, you have to be apart from your friend for some weeks or months or even years, but after that time, you will forever and always be together. Which one do you choose? Mm -hmm. You choose the second one, because if you chose the first one, even the time together with your friend would be seasoned with bitterness because of the loss, the, the thought of the impending loss that would come. That's exactly what is being given to young people. Yeah. And the Christ Beatitudes are the antidote to the hopelessness yes. that so many people are teaching. Yes. I don't, you know, we, we see now that 20% of uh, the people in our society have a, a disorientation about their identity, their sexual identity. Gosh. You know, it used to be 2%, now it's 20%. Mm -hmm. And 
people are in various places, including the schools, are getting these young folks to feel that. And then Christ says, blessed are the pure in heart. Yes. Yes. The world is seeing you can't be pure at heart. You 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 have to yes. have all this stuff going. It's impossible. Yes. So just find out where you think you're going to be happiest. But they direct people to unhappiness. Talk a little bit about that beatitude in particular sure. for this time. Yes. What does this purity of heart mean? Yes. And what is the hope? that goes with purity of heart. Absolutely, Father. That is, a, it's a very important beatitude for our times. And the first thing you probably think of when you think of purity of heart is, is purity at the level of chastity, you know, sexual purity or something mm -hmm. like that. And certainly that is something we need for our time and mm -hmm. our day, right? Mm -hmm. um, human beings who, who don't have purity of heart, they think their happiness is basically the same as the happiness of a German shepherd just some, some brood animal that finds its only joy in sex, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of um, impurity and unchastity only leads to darkness. It only leads to a kind of a self-destructive behavior, you know? But there's a, an even deeper sense of purity of heart that refers to the fact that, that the heart is singly and completely ordered to God. You know? when, when, when love is pure, it's directed to one object in a selfless way and not for ulterior motives, huh? Mm -hmm. Wholehearted, huh? And, and only the heart that's pure and directed in all of its, you know, the purity of heart is basically the fulfillment of the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. Everything in you is ordained to the love of God in the pure heart. And that pure heart is filled with light. Father, there's a light that comes with a pure heart that the world and the, the, the darkness around us cannot extinguish. When you have that purity of heart, it's as if uh, you carry a joy within you that nothing can extinguish. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. And if only young people would learn from those who are truly virtuous and not be lied to by, by those who don't know where happiness is to be found, and by the way, I don't want to limit that need to young people because yeah. I come across lots and lots of folks yeah. who are young adults, yes. middle age, and even the elderly yes. who are really confused about the possibility of purity of heart. Yes. And then the hope of seeing God. Yes. They're very confused about that. No, it's true. Uh, you know, God alone has made us for himself. St. Augustine says our souls our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Mm -hmm. um, we might try to find happiness in other things. We might try to find happiness in all the things that Beatitudes aren't, mm -hmm. <laughs> in money, in power, in emotional pleasure, food and drink, in the esteem of men. Drugs. Drugs, every right. We might try to find happiness in all those things, but it's only a matter of time before we realize that doesn't work. We'll have our prodigal son moment. And the prodigal son figured it out. His happiness was to be united to his father. And it's for us the same way. Purity of heart is just basically figuring out all the property of the father is not important. It's the father. It's being united to God uh, wholeheartedly. And once we have that sense of just like, it's all about us, me and you, Lord, that life, a life lived that way is a life of tremendous 
joy, and peace. And if only the people of the world who live in darkness could experience that, you know, it's, um, but it takes trust because mm-hmm. you don't get there right away, Father. You know? One of the other things too that I think is very important is uh, again, something that C.S. Lewis had pointed out. A lot of people seek the experience of happiness. I just want to be at peace. I just want to be happy. Mm. And if you seek the experience, you'll always miss it. Mm. But if you seek the object Mm -hmm. that gives happiness, Mm -hmm. then you can find it. So if you try, if you're looking for the experience, Mm -hmm. you'll miss it. Yes. But if you look for God who gives you peace, he gives us, that's part of his grace to give you that peace of heart. Then you you can find it, but not if you're seeking happiness. Yes. It's like looking for beauty in general. No, you have to look at beautiful things to see beauty. You know, when I I graduated from college at uh, Thomas Aquinas College many years ago, and the the speaker that day was a guy named Bill Bennett, who you probably have heard Mm -hmm. of, Bill Bennett. And I remember in his graduation speech, he said, happiness, finding happiness is like a cat. He says, if you pay attention to the cat, it'll run away from you. But if you just sit there, it just comes and jumps on your lap, you know, (laughs) something like that. And and the truth of the matter is that, that God has made us in his own image. And, you know, each of the persons of the Trinity, that's a little heavy theology here, but each of the persons of the Trinity is a subsisting relation, which means that the Son is his relation to the Father, and the Father is his relation to the Son. And God has made us in such a way that we don't find happiness until we're utterly and completely other directed. Mm -hmm. If we sit here and gaze at our navels and meditate on ourselves, what happens is we never find inner peace or happiness. But if we spend our lives just loving without seeking to be loved, just wholly and completely directed towards the good of others, what happens is that we find happiness that way very naturally, and especially if our, our primary focus is God himself, you know? So it really is, it's like that. And I like to give this comparison. You know, sometimes I like, at my age, it's less and less, but I like to play sports, you know? I go out there and I'll play a basketball game or something. The end of the game, I'll notice I've got cuts on my hands because people are swiping at the ball. I never noticed those during the game. Only after the game, I noticed, wow, look at that. But if I've been sitting there very quietly in contemplation on myself and someone came and cut me and cut me, I would notice every wound. But since I was outward directed and just thinking about something else, like shooting right. a basketball, mm-hmm. I didn't even feel it. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's like kind of an analogy to what happens in the spiritual life. As long as you're outward directed, that's exactly the way you have to find joy and happiness, but not just outward directed at anything. It's got to be outward directed at the good, especially the good of other persons and, um, and God himself. Well, I think what you're saying there helps to explain a good deal of the hypersensitivity mm. that we see going on. You, freedom of speech is out the window mm-hmm. at most universities. Yes. You, you, you can't say what you think and have a debate because it, you too easily offend other people and that's an aggression. Right. A microaggression or something, right? Yeah, and it's because they're so focused on themselves. Like yeah. you said, they feel every little nick. 
every little thing you say is an aggression to me. Mm. So in, like one company said, well, we're not going to mention Mother's Day because that can be <laughs> offensive to some people. All the people who don't have mothers, apparently. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's madness. Yes. And, but it's a madness that comes from so focusing on ourselves that, as you point out, we feel every little nick and it's just not tolerable. Yes. And that leads to the other thing, too. One of the Beatitudes is about peacemakers. Yes. This is another one that's very useful right now. Yes, that's true. And we look at our times and what we find is that there's little peace. There's a lot of strife. People mm -hmm. are arguing and everyone wants to get their rights, you know. But the peacemaker is someone who, who absorbs evil into himself. He's able to take the evil around him and absorb it into himself. Think of Jesus on the cross, making peace by the blood of his cross. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, in my book, I talk about four stages of peacemaking. The first stage is you have to have peace or order within your own soul. Peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It implies an order within us, a stable order. Huh? Mm -hmm. So first we have to have order in ourselves. And that mm -hmm. means mm -hmm. our soul has to be filled with truth. Mm -hmm. We have to know the scriptures. We have to know the catechism. Our soul also has to be um, rightly ordered with regard to divine worship, the worship of God, and also with regard to the moral virtues so that there's peace in our passions. Huh? So that's the first step, ordering our own soul. If we're not at peace in ourselves, we won't be at peace with our neighbor. The second step is bearing one another's burdens. St. Paul says, bear ye one another's burdens and thus you shall fulfill the law of Christ. <clears throat> and when we do that, we help in, in a certain way, we can tolerate the nuisances, the difficulties that are around us and we don't lash out, you know. The third step is fraternal correction, done charitably, of course. But if we sit there and, and we don't attend to the good of our neighbor and all we want is to please them so that they'll like us, we're not loving them. Huh? And our Lord gave us very clear instructions on how to deal with the sin of our neighbor. So we have to be courageous enough in love to speak to our neighbor and to say, you need to do better because you're harming yourself, you're harming others by your actions. And then the last step in being a peacemaker is is the most perfect step, and that is by means of forgiveness and reparation. This is what you see, especially in the lives of the saints. They, they look at the world around them and they say, um, I'm willing to make reparation for your sin. I forgive you. And there's an old saying, forgiveness means someone takes the loss. And the peacemaker takes the loss. And he, like Jesus, is conformed to Jesus crucified and, and makes reparation for the sins of others. And, and that's the ultimate step in peacemaking. And that's why the blessed are the peacemakers is the last beatitude before blessed are those who are persecuted. It's kind of a crowning beatitude that implies a great degree of spiritual maturity. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't start your, your spiritual life being a peacemaker. You have to work up to it. It's, it's something that requires quite a bit of um, self-discipline, sacrifice, and union with God. There's something here that I, <clears throat> I think people are using victimhood mm. as a source of power. Mm. 
And they, too many people will not relinquish being a victim yes. because they can get, you know, a, a hand up yes. over a situation. Yes. Well, I'm a victim. Well, I'm a bigger victim than you. And we now see competing victimhoods. <laughs> yes. And this is going on. And that, you know, there's a, how do you resolve that? And oftentimes we see one group of victims try to shout down the other right. as a way to make sure my victimhood trumps yes. yours. Yes. And this is not, you know, what Christ is not teaching at all. Yeah, that's right. I had a, a spiritual directee of mine some years ago, he came from a really impoverished background and, and a really difficult situation, you know, a single parent home and all these things. And at one point we were doing spiritual direction and he started kind of talking, you know, about the things he suffered. And, and I stopped him, I said, son, don't ever be a victim. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you're a victim, what you're saying is, all my problems in life are due to things outside of me. And you know what? You can't change anyone outside of you. The one person you can change is yourself. So if you're willing to admit at least some of the problems in my life are my problem and I can do something about that, then there's hope for the future. Mm -hmm. But there's no hope for a victim. There's no hope. Because no. You, it, you, we have a hard enough time, Father, controlling ourselves. We're not going to be able to control other people. Yeah. And so I often just say, look, forget the victim thing. It's probably true that some of the problems in your life are due to people outside of you. That's true for all of us. The real question is, what can I do in me to change? Mm -hmm. And so don't be a victim. And kind of the together with victimhood is a sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. Someone's entitled when they think that everything, they're, they're owed everything. And therefore, when they don't get what they want, they feel an injustice has been done to them. So they're constantly feeling that they're victims of injustice. The opposite of entitlement is gratitude. A grateful person thinks they're owed nothing. And anytime a good thing happens to them, they're grateful and if anything, they think that an injustice has been done in their favor. Mm -hmm. And their lives go around beautifully, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so we have to be people who are grateful, not entitled, not victims. And, and sure enough, problems will come anyway. Jesus was certainly not entitled and not a victim, and yet, of course, he was crucified and died. But you know what? He had joy in his heart. And, and all the evil in the world outside of him couldn't take that away from him. Mm -hmm. and, and the Beatitudes teach us that's exactly what Jesus wants for us. It's okay if you're poor. It's okay if you're persecuted. It's okay if you're hungry or thirsty. It's okay if you're meek. It's okay if you're mourning. You can have that higher life that I share with my Father, and none of that will shake you. Yeah. This is uh, something that I think is extraordinarily important at these times, and that the Beatitudes are radically countercultural. Mm -hmm. radically so. We have to take a little break. <clears throat> we'll be back in a couple minutes with any of your questions and calls and those here in our studio audience. So please stay with us.
Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back. Uh, we're discussing uh, a book called <clears throat> Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. This is written by Father Sebastian Walsh uh, of uh, the uh, Oprame. This is available for us at EWTNRC.com, our, our religious catalog. It is item number 73104. And if you want to find out more about Father Sebastian, you can also go to the website at the monastery, which is stmichaelsabbey.com, stmichaelsabbey.com. And I mentioned that you're, the initials after your name are yes, O'Prame. Yeah. Yes. What does that stand for? <laughs> Why? Yeah, the O'Prame, it stands for in Latin, Ordo Premonstratensis, huh? which is a, um, a designation. It signifies the place where our first monastery was built. And that's the Valley of Pré-Montré in France, the northeastern so tip of France. It's not that you are Pré-Monstre tensions in the sense that you're always before a monstrance. It's <laughs> well, about, that's that'd a be lot beautiful. Of folks, yeah. That'd be beautiful, but no, that's no, not that's it. The, it's about the name of the place, Pré-Montre. Yes. But that's the that's etymology of it, mm -hmm. Pré in front of and foreshown. So the idea of the name of the valley is it's the valley where things were foreshown. And St. Norbert had a vision of what would happen of all the people coming from the four corners. It's shaped like a cross, the mm -hmm. valley. And he had a vision where all the people were coming. Mm -hmm. And so the place was foreshown and that's what the name comes from. Mm -hmm. Well, there yeah. you go. So, so uh, but this is, uh, St. Norbert lived in which century? He lived, well, he straddled centuries. He lived in the 11th and 12th century. He was born in 1080 and died in 1134. So. So uh, your order has been around for a good long yeah. time, almost a thousand years now. We celebrated 900 years a couple years ago. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that yeah. our order has survived. And it's a sign, it's a testament to the greatness mm -hmm. of the charism mm -hmm. of our order, which I think is perennial. The charism of our order is essentially the reformation of the clergy. Yep. That's a, the purpose of our order. And that was a problem back in the 11th century. And a it's major still with problem. us, Father. It's still and with us. As my Bible says, Ein kol chadash tachat shamish. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> we have a question from our studio audience. Sir, where are you from? Uh, from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, great. great. That's a really pretty town. And hopefully people will go over the, 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 the monument at the battlefield. It's yeah. really <clears throat> stupendous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sacred ground, really. Yeah, it really is. It really I mean, is. The number of people who lost their lives there is, yeah. is awful, awful. Yes. So what can we do for you today? What's well, your question? I was wondering if there was any confusion among the masses when Christ was speaking the Beatitudes about exactly what he was meaning. Yes, that's an excellent question. So interestingly, the, one of the questions that comes up in the patristic period is why are Luke's Beatitudes so different than Matthew's Beatitudes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Luke gives a list of four Beatitudes and and in all his Beatitudes, he says, blessed are you, like blessed are you poor, right? Um, and Matthew's Beatitudes, there's eight of them, and he says, blessed are they who, or whatever. And then he qualifies it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for example. Mm -hmm. So there's a strange difference between them. 
And St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, their position was that the, there was a first sermon given on the plain in Luke's gospel. And then Matthew says that, that Jesus was there speaking to the crowds, and then he went up the mountain, he quotes the, the verbatim Exodus when Moses goes up the mountain, mm -hmm. and it says his disciples came to him. And then Matthew gave that more extended or more detailed sermon on the mount, okay? Mm -hmm. So the opinion of St. Augustine, St. Thomas was that there was, for the crowds, a more basic teaching and to, to avoid some of the confusion that might happen with all these detailed, you know, instructions. And Matthew's gospel records a more detailed and lofty homily that was given to those who are already Jesus's disciples. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, I think Jesus was trying to avoid confusing the crowds. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting because Jesus says things like this, blessed are you poor. Now you might say to Jesus, well, Jesus, how can you know they're blessed? Because just being poor doesn't make you blessed. Mm -hmm. But Jesus, those, those people had been with Jesus for three days. Mm -hmm. And with, they were going without food. They weren't working. They were there so much to hear the word of God. Jesus already knew their hearts. Mm -hmm. So he could say straight to them, blessed are you poor. Mm -hmm. And he was very plain. He was very direct. He gave very simple instructions. He, he said, blessed are, you know, um, he talks about the, the lilies of the field. He says um, that, that our father clothes the lilies of the field more gloriously than Solomon, right? And yet um, your father in heaven loves you more than the grass of the field. Huh? He's very clear in such a way that I think he tried to avoid confusion on the part of the the crowds and the masses, and then left his loftier doctrine for those who are already his disciples. That being said, even his apostles often misunderstood him. Exactly. So let's face it, exactly. whenever God speaks, we're confused. Uh, that's always the case because of the fact that our minds are small, God is infinite. Yeah, so. I mean, we see the apostles don't really get blessed are the poor in spirit for the mm -hmm. kingdom of the heaven is theirs. When they <clears throat> say to Jesus, hey, we gave up everything. Yes. And to follow you, what do we get out of this? Yeah, right. Um, they didn't get it. And w when it came, came to the peacemakers, uh, put uh, which one of us is the greatest? Yes. Yeah. You know, they, they argue about that. And, or, you know, when the two brothers say, puts one at your right and on your yes. left, and the other goes, hey, wait a minute, what about us? You know, <laughs> I, I, they didn't get it. And they were with him for yes. three years yes. following him closely. Uh, in one sense, I, I've been pointing out on my Tuesday shows that it's wonderful that the apostles recorded and gave to the evangelist that they were confused. They didn't yes. get it. Yes. And that helps us all relate and say, when I'm confused about Jesus, then I still have my selfish moments. Yes. I'm not really that different than the apostles, but Jesus is going to keep on correcting yes. me like he corrected them. It gives us hope. Yeah. You know, even the, 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 uh, the details about the resurrection, sometimes people, they'll say things like, you know, the resurrection accounts are all just fictional, they're propaganda. And I say to them, if they're propaganda, they're the worst propaganda ever written. You know, they're, just, they're talking about how the disciples didn't even believe every time Jesus appears, they don't recognize him. Mm -hmm. The first witnesses are women who are, you know, not exactly, you know, people who were supposedly credible witnesses. And when the women come, they don't believe them. This is not propaganda. 
You know, this is, this is just what really happened. And it's beautiful to know that what really happened was failure after failure in response to God. And the Lord Jesus never gave up on them. And later on, these same guys who didn't believe when they saw Jesus, they still didn't believe. Mm -hmm. Later, all <laughs> of them were willing to lay down their lives and die with torture and martyrdom. Yes. So, you know, this is something that, you know, they're making it up. You know, they're really sticking with something that was a lie. Yes. Even when it meant torture. Right. People don't do that. No, yeah. especially not fishermen and, no. you know, these, these were not sophisticated people. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Let's go to another question from our studio audience. Sir, where are you from? Uh, Yardley, Pennsylvania. Oh, great. Good to have you here. And what is your question or comment? Uh, I've been listening to you. Thank you, uh, Father Sebastian sure. and Father Mitch for your presentation. Um, Twelve-step programs over many decades have helped people with addiction and other compulsive behaviors. And um, I'm listening to your roadmap for the Beatitudes, <laughs> uh, Father, and, uh, you know, I can see some interwoven, you mm -hmm. know, powerless over other people and uh, yes. forgiveness. Perhaps uh, you could elaborate on that for me? Well, I, I, I can say a few things. I certainly believe that the, the Beatitudes are our eight-step program that God gives us, you know, this to, to get to heaven for sure. Yeah. I believe in that. And I wish I could, I could say with more authority um, exactly the relation between, say, those wonderful 12-step programs and the Beatitudes. Um, I, I'm, without having any knowledge myself, I'd be surprised if there hasn't been a book written on exactly that, because there, there seem to be so many parallels there. And I, but I'm not enough of an expert on the 12-step programs to be able to sit and correlate in my mind exactly which step. But for example, forgiveness, forgiveness of others, blessed are the merciful. For sure, that's, you know, those correlate very closely, right? The idea of letting go of control, blessed are the meek, right? You're not, you don't have power and control over other people. So there are obviously elements from the Beatitudes that find themselves in the 12-step program. But to be honest, I really do think that, um, um, that that would be a really worthwhile thing to investigate for someone who really knew both well, you know? It, so. I, I don't think that it's accidental either. Um, Bill Wilson, who started Alcoholics Anonymous, yes. worked with a Jesuit priest yes, from I heard St. That. Louis who helped in composing and fine-tuning the uh, 12 steps. So the introduction of elements from uh, the spiritual life, uh, partly from the spiritual exercises of Ignatius and the uh, Beatitudes are there. And I think, you know, people have been, uh, we've had folks on this show over the years who help to apply the 12-step program to a lot of problems way beyond you know, alcohol Alcoholism, or yeah. drugs. Sure. It, it's just a wonderful spiritual step to realize I'm powerless over sin, mm -hmm. but God isn't powerless, mm -hmm. and I meet, need to turn to Him and ask His help. This, these steps are very important chunking down, putting in small bite-sized pieces, 
how you go through conversion and the Beatitudes would certainly be in the background. Yeah, that does bring up a really beautiful um, element of the Beatitudes, however, and that is the fact that they are steps, right? I mentioned that blessed are the peacemakers comes towards the end of your spiritual journey, you know, you're very mature if you're a peacemaker. And, and of all the things I think the easiest to separate ourselves from is external goods. Mm -hmm. For example, it's easier to practice blessed are the poor in spirit than it is to, to practice blessed are those who mourn, mm -hmm. right? It's easier to separate ourselves from just physical things and then to overcome our own emotional suffering and the suffering that we have to endure in following Christ is maybe a bit harder mm -hmm. because it's more internal and, and, and more intimate. So there really is a kind of a gradation among those steps. St. Thomas Aquinas, when he talks about the Beatitudes, he says that the first three, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek, those three pertain to the private goods of the individual, right? They, mm -hmm. The regulation of, mon of money, of their um, emotions, and of their desire for power. Huh? And then the next two, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the merciful, pertain to the common good of our neighbor. You see that? Mm -hmm. so we're extending out there. Mm -hmm. huh? And then finally, blessed are the pure of heart, and blessed are the peacemakers, pertain to our relationship with God. Huh? Mm -hmm. The pure of heart are those who, who are wholly directed to God. And St. Thomas points out the peacemakers are those who are so fixed on God and they are so suffused with the gift of wisdom that they're able to establish the conditions for purity of heart in those around them. Mm -hmm. right? There's Proverbs 16, 7. It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. It's a beautiful, you know. So you see the gradation, the steps. And then the last uh, beatitude yes. of blessed are they who are persecuted yes. for the sake of the gospel and of Jesus, um, that helps deal with another reality, namely the enemies of God and our enemies, people yes. who hate us yes. because of our love of God. Yes. And that's still another level. Yeah, St. Thomas says that that signifies, it's kind of a crown on all the Beatitudes because it signifies a firmness, right? And he re references St. Paul there, who will separate me from the love of Christ, persecution of the sword and so forth, mm -hmm. that when even in the midst of persecution, we continue to practice the Beatitudes, at that time, that shows how firmly rooted we are in the practice of all the Beatitudes. So it signifies a certain perfection of practicing the Beatitudes. It's a beautiful thing. And may we all get there one day, Father. It's God a, willing. Yeah. We have a caller online. We have Steve in Oregon. Steve, what can we do for you? Yes, Father. I was just asking uh, to get purity of heart. How, how do we overcome the sins? How do we overcome the sins of the flesh? Yes. Because many souls are going to hell because of sins of the flesh, which our Lady of Fatima mentioned. Yes. How do we overcome that? Yes. I, I have a, a... Steve, very important point. Thank you. It is. Yeah, thank you, Steve. I, I, in my book on that chapter, I talk about three things that are necessary for obtaining purity of heart. The sacraments, prayer, and penance. Those are three ways we purify our hearts. Huh? And first of all, the sacraments. Um, they work ex opere operato, which means just by the very fact of being done, when we're conscious and accept them, you know, where we don't put up any resistance to them, God is communicating grace to us. It's a mm -hmm. beautiful thing, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so with regard to the sacraments there, um, 
we need to constantly make use of them. And the two sacraments that are especially important for purity of heart are frequent confession and frequent communion. Mm -hmm. right? and when, I, when I give spiritual direction to a young man who's struggling with, with the lust and things like that, I say, go to weekly confession and daily communion. And almost always that fixes the problem. You know, it's a beautiful thing, the sacraments. Uh, yeah, I, I can't emphasize that uh, enough either. Um, that, you know, going to uh, confession on uh, a regular basis, preferably every week, mm -hmm. um, uh, at least once a month. Yes, that's right. Once a month is a good rule. You know, because yeah. a lot of people wait till Easter and Christmas. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I've told a few folks, I'll bet you change the oil in your car more often than you go to confession. <laughs> and you might need to use that. I, I've told some folks, every time you go change the oil, go to confession. Not because it's bad to change the oil, but that's a good indicator. <laughs> well, and another indication that maybe monthly confession is what the church intends, is that if you go to confession every four weeks, you're always in a position to get a plenary indulgence. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's a, an indication the church wants us to be going to confession about every four yes. weeks, you know. Yes. So there's that. Um, then the next thing is prayer. And we really have to persevere in prayer. There's that beautiful parable after the Our Father in Luke where Jesus says, um, he says, which of you having a friend should come to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for I have a friend who's come on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And yet from within the house he shall hear, go away, my children are in bed and sleep and the door, asleep and the door is locked. I cannot arise and give you anything. I tell you, even if he does not arise and give him anything because of their friendship, nevertheless, because of his perseverance or importunity, he will arise and give him as much as he needs. Mm -hmm. That is a parable about perseverance in prayer, which we need to obtain purity of heart. Because if we're struggling with lustful desires, if we're struggling with attachment to the things of this world, mm -hmm. we need to keep on praying until God gives us, knocking until He gives us what we need. Huh? And that parable, it's midnight, right? Mm -hmm. It's the darkest time of your life. And, and we seem to hear God saying when we're praying, don't bother me. And yet the Lord Jesus says, pray always. Even though we seem to be rejected by the Lord, we have to keep praying and keep petitioning him, even through that darkness, even through that seeming rejection, huh? Even when he says, my children are in bed with me, like the saints aren't going to listen to you either, you know? Mm -hmm. We persevere. And then he says, I tell you, even if he does not arise because of their friendship, sometimes we think that it's only if we're in a state of grace that God will hear us. That's not what Jesus says. Mm -hmm. He says, if we persevere, God will hear us. Mm -hmm. Even if we don't think we're friends of God, keep praying, you know? So that's yeah, we don't just step. sort of name it and claim it and then it's done. Keep praying. That's right. And then, of course, the third step is penance. huh? And penance means actively giving up things, you know, that might be legitimate goods, but giving them up out of love for God. I think of this. Um, the, not just in Lent. Not just in Lent. Outside of Lent. Too. Penance is all year round. That's right. And this life, penance is a, is a constant thing. So think of the, um, the Samaritan woman at the well. What's the first thing Jesus asks? Give me some of your water. You know, he's asking her to make a sacrifice of some of the water that she's just drawn, a little bit given to the Lord. Huh? And that becomes the beginning of her conversion. Huh? So in the same way, if we give up those things, we actively do penance. And then, of course, we have to experience, as if we want to become saints, 
we have to go through those passive purifications that the spiritual writers like John of the Cross talk about, the dark night of the senses mm -hmm. and the spirit, but I'll leave that for another day. Yeah. But yeah. You know, we've just got a minute left, okay. uh, I'm afraid. Um, <clears throat> I just want to let people know that if they go online, that there's something called the Abbot's Circle. Oh, yes. And it's the abbotscircle.com. That's right. Um, that's a great place to go find out more, but I'm afraid that we can't go into it go now. Sure. Um, I'll say one know, quick thing about it. It's yeah. a virtual online monastery. It has wonderful content, very high quality, very beautiful. Okay. So I recommend it. Well, we are virtually out of time. So <laughs> if you join me in blessing everyone, Almighty God bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we can bring you Father Sebastian and all our other guests and shows because the network is brought to you by you, keeping us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill. <laughs> That's how we get to pay all of our bills too. God bless you for your support and thank you.